Hey there, it's Coach C, and we are here today with an incredibly special guest, someone who I had to um, arm wrestle to be able to come onto our show today. Uh, welcome to the Coach C Podcast, and today is the inside of the inside information on everything that you want to know about trading. So I had to beg this special guest to come on today, and um, he's a little bit reluctant. For those of you who are watching this uh, on our uh, IGTV, or if you're watching this on YouTube, I'd like to introduce to you Carl N. And those of you who know me really well, you know who Carl N. is. Those of you who don't, you don't know who Carl N. is. Should we tell them who you are? No, let's keep it mysterious. <laughs> We're keeping it mysterious, but you can see that uh, on the video, we're in my home office and um, uh, on the podcast. For those of you who've joined on our podcast, you haven't been able to see that. So I just really want to welcome Carl to the, to the show today and on the Coach C podcast. I think it's really important right now to sit down and talk about a lot of the things that are happening. There's a lot of misin misinformation on um, the markets and stock markets and trading and what that all looks like. And you're seeing a lot of people either get involved in trading or get out of trading or what does that mean? And Carl is a head trader here in Canada. He works with one of the top five banks. And you've been trading for over, well, we won't even tell the, we'll tell people the age of you if we do that, but you've been trading for over 25 years. Over 20 years. Over 20 years. Right. Yeah. And uh, you've worked at a lot of, of the, pretty much almost all of them. There's only a couple you haven't worked at, including an American bank. But Carl is the head trader of um, bonds and equity here at one of our largest banks. And he has a lot of insight because he, when, when COVID hit and everything kind of went crazy and the market started going in insane directions, Carl was in the middle of that. So he's going to give us some information today. There's questions I'm not allowed to ask him, so I'm not allowed to ask him certain things. But there are a lot of questions that I can ask him. And for those of you who didn't know, yes, Carl is my husband. Right, you gave it away. I gave it away. I couldn't help I... it. Okay. <laughs> We've been married almost 20 years, so uh, as, just about as long as you've been trading. And let's just talk about, Carl, tell, tell people who are listening and people who are watching what exactly does a bond trader do? What do you do? Okay. <clears throat> First of all, I want to clarify, and a lot of people make this mistake. Christine said uh, I was head of equity trading as well, which is which is not true. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I don't a, even know what he does. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a head government bond trader um, specifically. Um, and a lot of people get confused about the difference between bonds and stocks so I do not have anything to do with the stock market. Of course, it impacts what I do, but I don't. I don't trade that. I, I trade government bonds to be specific. So, you know what? What a government bond trader in my position does is make markets and provide liquidity for institutional investors. So, you know that's generally people who um, you know manage pooled money like uh, pension funds, uh, hedge funds, mutual funds, etc., and then. Governments, um, insurance companies, you know all these all these you know types of end investor that that manage large pools of money. You know they're going to have a certain percentage of that um, invested in the bond market, and and they need somewhere to go and buy and sell bonds. Uh, you know if you're doing that with equities or stocks, you're doing that um, directly on a stock exchange. But if you do it 
in fixed income securities, you go to uh, a dealer um, that's you know typically uh, an arm of a bank. So, so what I do is buy and sell securities or, or bonds specifically uh, from these institutional investors uh, and use the bank's balance sheet to do that, um, so that they can transact and, and serve their the, the needs of their their actual end investor. Yeah. And I think it's it's really important because people think that uh, they confuse stocks with bonds, right. right? So you have a lot of people that will ask Carl, you know, we'll be out for dinner and they'll say, what's the market doing? And they're referring to the stock market. But right behind that is actually a very large, is really the bond trading industry and the bond industry. But tell me a little bit about, you know, you sit in front of screens all day long and we have screens set up here for COVID. But you sit in front of a lot of information all day long. How do you determine um, what to do with the markets? Like, how do you determine what you're selling, what you're buying, how you're trading? What what kind of information do you use to make those decisions? And these are big decisions. Right. I mean, that's that's a very complicated question. I mean, Sorry. I, it's okay. Um, I mean, I basically use everything uh, that's available to me. So, I mean, uh, all the, all the financial markets are, are related, right? So, you know, in a typical relationship, people would always think that, you know, when it's a, a so-called risk on market and things are going well, people are buying stocks, selling bonds, you know, they're, they're all related, but whether it's commodities markets, um, uh, foreign exchange markets, uh, bonds, stocks, for that matter, real estate, it's all interrelated, and, and what, what we do really is try and assess all these, you know, global macro markets, and and try and make the best decision for, you know, for the bank as far as how we'll we'll position. And also very important to that is is the supply and demand equation in our market. So um, how much issuance is there, and what do our what do our end investors need to do? Do they need to buy or sell? So we we try and. Um, take all these factors of what global markets should do and what are the needs of our end investors and what, you know, what is the supply demand profile of a market. And we try and assimilate all that and, and, and formulate a, a trading strategy that, you know, we can, you know, best help those end investors. Really, yeah. that, that's really our number one job. If we're, if we're serving the needs of our customers, then, you know, obviously that, that's how we grow our business. But, you know, so we, we take all that info try and best position ourselves to try and, you know, help our, the end investor. And I think what's, what is, I've heard this quote so many times this week, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah. I love, you, I love the quote. I love that quote. And you were on the front line when the markets got punched in the face. Right. And, you know, I watched, you know, the stress levels of you, your colleagues, all of that uncertainty. Cause when you're trading in times with, cause you just said it, you have, you have a lot of information and you structure that in a way that you can make educated decisions on what you're going to be doing. Well, when none of those levers and, and things make any sense, because what's happened in the last eight weeks has never previously happened in the world. Right. So now what? So you were in the middle of trading during the, when COVID hit and the chaos and those structures, you, what you would think would happen was, you know, the exact opposite. So can you say a little bit about what you rely on then in terms of your ability? Like, what do you do then? Right. 
Um, you know, I, I'm in a unique position when crises hit in that essentially what I trade is ultimately ends up being the product most in demand. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, when, we, when we see this start to evolve and, you know, you see a lot of money moving out of riskier instruments like stocks uh, and, 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 and like corporate bonds for that matter, and they want to go into government bonds. They want to go into the safest instruments. So, you know, really the best thing we could do is just try and keep ourselves long the market as all of our, uh, you know, end customers would come in and, and need to buy. I mean, I mean, one thing I'd clarify about my job is, you know, people will ask, oh, do you make a commission on what you do? We, we don't make a commission on what we do. What we do is we provide liquidity. We try and have a bid ask in, mm-hmm. in the market and what we do. And the market moves. So we may sell bonds to a customer and we get, we get short the market and the market rallies against us. That, that can happen. That happens all the time. Um, so the best thing we can do is sort of anticipate what people need to do. You know, uh, and, and rates move tremendously. We haven't yeah. seen this kind of rate movement. And for that, for that matter, we haven't seen this kind of financial market movement since the financial crisis of 08 and 09. So there's a tremendous rally in bonds. Um, if we take, uh, and, and there's a lot of central bank intervention as well. So you had to anticipate that central banks would move rates lower, that end, end investors would need to buy a lot of government bonds particularly, and, and there would be a flight to quality. And that, that's really how we try to position ourselves mm-hmm. um, for, for what the markets and, and customers would need to do. Right. So, you know, and it, as we moved along here, there's become a great central bank presence in these markets. And that's they're heavily influencing what's happening in here. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because there has been a lot of um, bailout programs, government programs, a lot of the government's putting money into the economy. How do they do that? Because I know they rely heavily on guys like you and, right. and traders to be able to create that. Can you explain that to people? Because I don't think people really understand what it means when the government creates these kinds of programs. Right. Yeah. So, so I'm in a unique position where um, we are a primary dealer. So what we do is we have an obligation as a primary dealer to um, participate in auctions led by the Bank of Canada to buy Government of Canada securities. Um, so, obviously, the Government of Canada has a budget. They have to finance themselves. They run a lot of debt to do so. And the Bank of Canada administers their program. And so, the Bank of Canada sells bonds for them and money market instruments to fund the government. So, um, <clears throat> essentially, what's been going on since this crisis has started is, you know, the Bank of Canada fundamentally uh, has a mandate to um, keep inflation stable. Um, that's their number one, uh, focus is to keep inflation stable. Right. Obviously that's very difficult in this particular time, but the other thing they need to do is, you know, they have a lot of jobs, of course, one I just said, which was to, you know, help the government fund itself, but also they try and help the, uh, functioning of the markets. So they see markets come under a lot of stress. Um, so they start using their toolbox. They have a monetary policy toolbox, and so they cut rates. So when we started this, uh, they had their key lending rate at 1.75%. Over three cuts, they've taken it down to 0.25%. So, you know, it's almost zero, basically. Right. Um, And then they've gone into their toolbox in a multitude of different ways to support financial markets. So uh, they're, they're buying 
they're buying all sorts of different types of securities and paper in order to provide liquidity um, and, and help the system function properly. So they're buying Government of Canada bonds, in fact. They're buying $5 billion of those a week. They've announced that they're going to buy $50 billion of provincial uh, bond paper. They're buying $10 billion of, um, of corporate bonds. Mm-hmm. They buy money market securities like commercial paper and bankers' acceptance, note, acceptance notes, which are, which are short-end pieces of paper that companies use to fund themselves. Um, they provide lending facilities to, to the banks. And, and basically, all these programs are meant to make sure that financial systems keep functioning properly. Yeah. And, and that in times of stress, you know... Um, the banks and, and, and investment dealers, their balance sheets and, and what they do comes under stress too. And so what the Bank Canada does is help facilitate what they're doing and, and allow them to keep their core function. And, and that, that's, that's what's going on right now in, in very large size, really. I find it really interesting because essentially, and you, you've said this several times to me, um, and it's like they're, they're printing money. Right. Right. They're really printing money in and there's a cost to that overall from an economic perspective. Um, but pretty much every country is doing the exact same. They're using the, the same policies and they're all printing money because essentially when the governments release that or they drive up inflation when they print money, like they devalue currency right. and they drive up inflation. Right. So which you're very familiar with, obviously, you, you trade inflationary bonds. Say a little bit more about, you know, if one country did it it could be really bad. But since all of the countries are using similar economic tools, that what, what does that mean for on a, on a more global or national perspective? Right. I mean, basically what all of the governments and their central banks are doing is, is effectively printing money. So, you know, um, they've increased tremendously the size of their borrowing program. So every week, the Bank Canada comes in and issues more bonds than they traditionally did. And more treasury bills than they traditionally did. And, and, and then at the same time, they turn around on a daily basis and buy Government of Canada bonds. So like I said, on the one hand, they issue them. On the other hand, they buy them back. Uh, off the run, illiquid bonds is what they're really ultimately trying to do. But So, you know, they're, they're issuing bonds so the government can fund all their programs, all these fiscal stimulus right. programs that they have. Um, that money, when they issue, goes to the government. And they, you know, they can go through all these lending programs, et cetera, that they're trying to support people with. And then the Bank Canada comes in and uses its own balance sheet to buy securities and, and tuck them away on its balance sheet, which is, an, is increased like tremendously. I, you know, I don't know the exact number, but let's say it was $100 billion before and now it's $350 billion or something like that. So, yeah. you know, in a way, that's like printing money because they're issuing at the same time as they're buying. And that money, the issue goes to the government. So, and they can use the program. So everybody... All of the banks and central banks globally, at least in large developed nations, are doing this to support their economies, to help it fight through this crisis. And, you know, it it doesn't help solve the problem itself of of COVID-19. It doesn't help, obviously, find a solution for a vaccine. But it it hopefully allows people to kind of survive and get through Um, because, obviously, there's been tremendous financial damage done to individuals, to businesses, and it, it hopefully helps people just kind of get through this, this process right now. Yeah. And, and to answer your question, um, you know, if, a, com- if a, uh, a country is issuing a tremendous amount of bonds and printing all kinds of money, 
in doing so, what it's doing is devaluing the um, their currency because right. it's a lot less valuable, of course, if there's more of it out there relative to other currencies. Um, so in you know if bank if Canada was the only country doing this, the Canadian dollar would go down tremendously. But the truth is that all you know developed nations are are doing these types of programs. So. Uh, it's not in particular difficult, you know, on Canada in doing this because yeah. they're all doing it. In fact, in fact, they're coordinating. There is like uh, G7 central bank um, coordination in these programs. Yeah. So it all comes down kind of generally. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Makes sense. And I get a lot of questions and I'm, I'm sure you get a lot of questions too because a lot of people are, you know, what can they do to pivot? What are the things they need to do in their business? And some people pick the trading, day trading. And people say to me, oh, you're married to a trader. And I'm like, yes, and I'm not allowed to tell you anything about what he does. Although I am putting him on my YouTube and my, and my podcast today. But um, tell me a little bit, because I think people confuse what day trading does. And a lot of people are trading, you know, for, foreign exchange currencies, they're trading stocks, and, and they're trading bonds. Tell me a little bit more about the, what they're doing versus someone who is trading institutionally, like mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, I mean, what I what I do really is uh, trade billions and billions of bonds a day um, uh, to facilitate transactions in the market um, right. to help people move money around in, into bonds, out of stocks, etc., and vice versa. So, I mean, that's what we're doing. We use up a we have to use a lot of say bank balance sheet to do that to be able to do that. Uh, we need a lot of support around us, of course, mm-hmm. to finance our positions. So, so a lot of people are, you know, coming together to do this. Um, and also frankly, like this, this is the way through the bond market that a lot of people fund themselves. Um, obviously not just the government though, but there's probably, yeah. you know, not just provincial governments, but corporations. So when and individuals, I mean, people have bonds in their portfolios. So your wealth manager will have a, like a kit of tools they use. Right. right? So, yeah. So, so, I mean, what we do is help that all kind of function. But, you know, if you're um, an individual kind of retail investor, you know, there's a lot of hedge funds out there that, that are day trading and using like billions and billions of balance sheet as well to do that. But, you know, trading very large sizes. But let's say on a retail level, I mean, um, you know, you don't really tend to trade like a, a cash bond uh, retail wise to, to try and day trade the bond market. You know, you'd have to use a different type of instrument that would give you a little bit of leverage in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could actually um, kind of put more money to work for, for your dollar. Um, and, you know, there's different ways to do that. If you asked me about ETFs. There's these leveraged ETFs that yeah. maybe could um, give you a multiple of the market of two or three times, or you can actually short the market, which, which can be difficult for a retail investor to do. But if you can um, buy an ETF that is a short of the bond market, uh, you know, say two to three times the value of your dollar, then, you know, then you can actually, um, catch market moves or, you know, uh, traditionally what a lot of people would do is use futures markets. You have a futures account, uh, and you could trade futures and options on the bond market. And that'd be another way where you could put up, you know, say 10% of money, uh, to, you know, to get an, an investment in being long or short or short the market through your futures account. So right. I think they're generally going to use either, um, fixed income futures or fixed income options or, um, you know, leveraged ETF products. Okay. What's the number one question people ask you when they want information? So what do they often say to you in terms of 
what should I do? Because I, I know you get this question a lot, but what's the number one thing people will ask you about trading? Well, the number one question people ask me is, do I have any stock tips? Right. <laughs> and I don't. Answer? I don't. I don't have any stock tips. I, you know, I look at like uh, global economic factors, global <laughs> macroeconomic factors, yeah. particularly Canadian ones, and that's that's how we trade. We have no uh, interesting information that way. I'm looking at all public information that I just look at it very closely. Yeah. Um, so people people often just want to know the simplest thing. What you know? What's a good stock you'd recommend? Um, and then when I tell them I don't do that, they're like, oh, should I buy bonds? And, you know, the thing is, people don't always appreciate um, how, you know, the, the, stock, the stock market sounds interesting and sexy and you, 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 you know, you get to buy Tesla or something like that. And that sounds right. exciting. And that, that's been a great investment, owning Tesla. Um, although, For mind some you, reason. <laughs> Although, mind you, with uh, oil trading at uh, you know near zero, um, it will probably bring into question uh, how much we need to spend extra on uh, electric cars. But, anyways, um, uh, you know, people will ask me, "Is uh, is it a good time to buy bonds?" And you know, should I have bonds in my portfolio? And yes, is the answer. I mean, I looked at, um, I think last year, like if you had a provincial bond portfolio in Canada, you would have made like 20% or something like that. And that was last year. And there's been nothing better performing than uh, throughout this this crisis than, you know, stocks might be down 25% or something, but, you know, but bonds are up 25%. Right. You know, um, I don't know the exact number, if I'm being honest with you, but, you know, they've had a tremendous rally. Uh, so, you know, it, it is it a good time to buy bonds right now? I mean, Rates are rates are very low, and rates are low. That means you're gonna get a lower return, certainly. Right. Um, but you know, it's 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 safer. And I'm a government bond trader where where the rates are the lowest. But I mean, you, you can look at um, corporate bonds that have returns that are a couple hundred base points over what a government bond is, and I, I'm sure there are some excellent opportunities there. I'm I'm not going to uh, get into trying to recommend it. That's <laughs> no. that's not what I do. No. Um. And I really appreciate that. So it, I one, I think it was really helpful for you for a lot of people who will listen to this and watch this to understand the differences because I think people are very confused about what to do and you know what are the differences in the market and what are those levers. Number one, they hear government bailouts, they're hearing you know printing money, they're hearing inflation, and they confuse that with the stock market. Everybody's talking about the stock market and what what to invest in, but the reality is it's it's much more complicated and complex than that. And for companies who are leveraging, you know, stocks and bonds in their own businesses, there's a lot for them to attend to. Um, people are at a heightened level of fear right now. People are looking at what do I do with my business and everybody's saying cash is king. So when you hear that about, you know, people looking at they're either there's two sides of what we're seeing, what I'm seeing in businesses, and people are either paralyzed by fear or they're taking advantage and looking at the opportunities. And those that are taking advantage and looking at what what I'm going to invest in, what's the opportunity? Is there anything that, and I know you're not really someone who can predict the future or the markets, but is there any industries that you can say, you know, that you would you know, consider they will rise through this at a, at a faster rate or they'll have a better better chance of uh, coming out of this. So are there any industries that you see would be um, interesting? <clears throat> uh, 
I don't know if I'm going to have an easy time answering that, honey. Yeah. I mean, I think... <laughs> it's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, it's all timing, too. Like, if if we are on the brink of turning the corner on, on all of this, then, you know, if... if if people have been putting their uh, their money in medical equipment companies, that's fine. But some of the stuff that's been particularly beaten down, right. you know, retailers, um, automakers, et cetera, airlines. Um, I mean, airline traffic is down something of the nature of 95%. Yeah. You know, if, if they can actually survive and not go bankrupt, you know. Well, then, Richard Branson, just like he's really fighting to keep his company Right. Life, right. They're on the verge and there's so many airlines that are going in that direction. So yeah. it is, I think I, I asked a really challenging question because there, I don't think there is an answer. Yeah. I'm, to be honest. I mean, I'm not going to try and recommend any sector or anything like that. I mean, I find it very interesting that, you know, the one thing that seemed kind of clear to me is that those largest tech companies, I mean, every, every company gets yeah, dragged fame. down. Every company gets dragged down by, uh, by what's going on. Of course, you know, um, the economy is, you know, running on whatever capacity, but it was surely down 25% or something like that. Um, but, you know, I think like the demand for technology is frankly seems higher than ever. Yeah. And as I, I was, we were talking about last night, these, these FANG stocks, you know, the Facebooks, Apples, Amazon, Netflix, Googles, I mean, the demand for what they do, you know, we aren't out there yeah. in the malls and at the stores doing things like we, we were before and, and the demand for what they do and, and even just like network capacity yes. utilization is, is bigger than ever. So, um, you know, obviously their stock prices reflect that, you know, a Netflix would be at its highest all time in spite right. of what uh, I'm sure I think Amazon as well. Again, I'm not a stock guy, but um, so, you know, markets, markets are well ahead of that. They yeah. already know that, you know, of course these, these companies are most in demand. So, you know, that doesn't make them a great investment, but it just certainly displays like how, you know, even moving forward, how important these, these biggest companies remain. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit on you, Carl, and I, I didn't um, ask your permission to do this, but you've been trading for a really long time. And uh, right now, a lot of people are looking at, you know, they're taking the opportunity in and you've been working through this whole time, whole time because, you know, the banks need guys like you to keep the economy moving. Right. Um. What are what have your thoughts been on your own personal reset? Because a lot of people are taking this opportunity to, and I've been saying a lot: use use this time to reset, use this time to make a pivot. What purpose are you serving? What are you up for next? What's your kind of what's next for you? And really reinvention. And and I talk a lot about that. And I don't think I've ever really asked you. What do you think? You know, if you you know, had a timeline of when you wouldn't want to trade anymore and when you wouldn't want to be in the heart of the, you know, kind of in the heart of it all, what would your what's next be? What would you want to reinvent? What would that look like? You really chose this medium to ask me that yeah. question? Yeah. I'm putting him on the spot completely. I'm sure you've thought about it. Yeah. Can I abstain from <laughs> Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. Yeah. I mean, look, I I don't know right now. It's yeah. uh it's really interesting times in in frankly in what I do, it's very interesting times. You know, we have we have people you know, I don't work out of our main office anymore. I work out of a so-called business recovery site. Right. Um and then some people are in the main office, some are where I am, some are just at home. 
you know, an increasing number every week are, are working at home. And um, it's made for, you know, some interesting times and, and changing a little bit the way we do our business, the way we communicate with each other. And uh, that's all been pretty fascinating right now. And, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, I would say the, the job's been particularly interesting throughout this. You know, it's, it's, it's a terrible time, but um, at least like uh, I'd say like actually trading these markets has been um, quite a good experience and certainly takes your mind off of uh, uh, all the bad stuff going on out there yeah. around COVID-19. But so I don't know right now what uh, what the what's next is. You know? No, I, I think I you think, said it. I, I actually think the reset is maybe there's the, a renewed passion and a renewed fire. Like you've been yeah. doing this a long time. Some For some of us, it's, you know, reminding us of why we do what we do. And yeah. that is a reset. That's like, you know, getting more excited to go to work every day versus being flat or, you know, it's not the same thing as it was. It's not the same old, same old. So yeah. there's a lot of excitement there. And that's a reset in and of itself. And I think we don't want to take that for granted because people think, oh, a reset means I have to do something different. No, it just might mean you have a renewed passion for what you are doing and that you found your purpose early on in life. And you've been able to to do that and, and to continue to do that. And that's right. exciting. And I think a lot of people... um hearing your message of you've really been challenged by this and that's exciting for you and interesting because some people are struggling with that. Right. Or, you know, maybe there's less complacency. Yeah. It's, it has been exciting. And, um, you know, I look at like on my team, you know, we have people working out of three different centers. That's interesting. People, you know, on the broader team, people working out of multiple, multiple locations, obviously a lot of people at home, uh, you know, I have the capability of working at home now for the first time in my life. And it's making me, <laughs> it's making me think about, uh, I have taken over the dining room. Um, <laughs> it's making me think about, you know, what, you know, what's next, you know, what's, yeah. what's this all going to look like? Cause you know, are there going to be more people working at home than there ever were before? Are we going to do more zoom meetings as opposed to flying places? You know, like how much will, business travel ultimately be down will we have less office space will our office space be socially distanced permanently going forward i mean i I don't know but i mean there's there's a lot of interesting factors to think about and clearly we're not going to look the same that we did you know uh in q4 uh 2019 we're not going to look the same in uh q4 2021 or two you know it's looking forward i mean i think we're there's gonna be some permanent changes out of this and in, in different yeah, ways of doing things. So, I mean, that that's all interesting to think about. One of, what is one of the things from a leadership perspective that you have seen some of the leaders of, of the banking systems do really well? Give me an example of something that you noted, or it could have even been yourself in your own leadership position, but what's something that you noted that kind of really resonated with you as something positive and powerful? I mean, I think that, you know, at least, I, I mean, if I, if I speak a little bit more about, more about my business, you know, they've, they've done a good job of, of, of separating us, socially distancing us in our work, um, you know, bringing forth the technology so that, so that we can f- function. You know, we're used to kind of working elbow to elbow yeah, in, in our workplaces and the way we communicate is, is obviously a lot of like yelling across the floor to each other and all that. Whereas now it's a lot more over, over, 
hoot and holler boxes and phone conversations again. A lot more just digital, uh, instant messaging, et cetera. But, um, which a lot of companies are faced with, you know, whether you're on a trading floor in a call center, you have a customer care center, or you're, you know, maybe you're an insurance company. doesn't matter where all of your people were used to a structured system of going to be at work together and then communicate that way. And all of a sudden that's, um, completely disappeared. And, you know, that's challenging for people. And I think leaders are either rising to that challenge and they're helping people get through those things or they're forgetting those, the, maybe some of them are even forgetting some of the softer skills where it's like acknowledge your people for something extraordinary. Right. What, what really great thing can you acknowledge people for during this kind of change? And, and that's what I'm looking at in terms of a leadership, you know, purview what are some of the great things? And what are some of the really stupid things that leaders are doing? You know, because yeah. a lot of us, a lot of leaders are bombarded with their own emotional responses and they're kind of, you know, maybe not necessarily helping in certain situations. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of where I was asking. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, it never happens quick enough, of course. All these things take yeah. a little bit of time. And uh, unfortunately, in some cases, that probably perpetuates the problem. But, um, you know, I just... You know, in my business, I just have seen, you know, people have been very good at communicating, communicating the plans and, and moving it as for, you know, forward as quickly as they can. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I could, I would point out somebody who's particularly stood out throughout this right. crisis, you know, but um, I just think the key is to uh, really communicate with people and, and just so people aren't left with, uh, with uncertainty. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate yeah. enough that we get called a so-called essential service that, you know, the, the people, the group of people that I work with directly, we all are able to stay employed throughout this and not get furloughed or laid off. Mm -hmm. Obviously, certainly people in banks are going through that as well. Um, you know, amongst other parts of the economy, but you know, and so people are going through tough times, but you know, the key, I guess, is just see these leaders, um, really communicate. uh, You touched on something, and I don't want to, I want to unpack something a little bit further because one of the things we started and we talked about was the government is raising a lot of money and helping people and they've got loans and things happening, you know, and you're trading all of that stuff, but is it, do you think that it's actually getting into the hands of the end consumer? So if they cut rates, mortgage rates should go down. If they cut certain things, certain economic factors should happen. Do you see that happening? Oh, it's tough. I mean... When times get tough, that's when banks want to retrench, you know, mm-hmm. like if if times are great, they'll keep expanding their credit. They'll lend more money. That helps the economy grow. They're confident that people will pay them back. So right. they'll do that. But when you have a financial crisis and you have this COVID-19 crisis, you know, banks would naturally want to retrench, right? Yeah, well, they, they have would- a profit they're profit centers. They right. have a profit to take care of as well. So the government can say, yeah, we're going to help all of the entrepreneurs and the business owners and all these people. But if the banks have to watch out for their own business, that doesn't necessarily get done at the consumer level. Right. So, you know, what, what all this does is keeps the banks liquid, keeps, keeps them able to perform their function. Um, is it a perfect transmission mechanism down to the end consumer? No, not at all. But it is it is all helping. Um, I think, you know, like the government programs, they take time to roll out. People have to learn how to yeah. actually access them. Yeah. People have to, you know, 
go go out and do that. And yeah. and you know, once they're announced, how many weeks does it take to implement it? And, and you know, a lot. I mean, there's a very there's a very high number of Canadians when I've seen the stats that kind of live month to month on their paycheck. Yeah. So if they had a one month interruption, I don't know the number, but it's it's far higher than you think. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's awfully close to fifty percent who would basically couldn't make their payments if they had a one month disruption in their in their income. So, yeah. you know, the government has rolled out some significant plans. The the Bank Canada it, through monetary policy tools is doing some significant actions to keep the the financial markets fu- you know functioning, to keep banks encouraging banks to lend, to 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 use their um, their balance sheet to give people money to help them get through it. Uh, is it perfect? No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. But no. I think I think the you know we're doing the best we can. At the end of the day, like you said, you know, uh, banks are businesses, and they yeah. do they do have to watch out for their bottom line, and they can't just give money to people who probably aren't going to be able to pay it back. So the government really is kind of has to be the last resort here to to uh, to make the economy function. Yeah, and I think um. But I really appreciate that perspective, and I, I think being authentic and honest about what is happening for people and not sugarcoating it. You know, it's there's a lot of people who are suffering. There's a lot of people um, who are in, in financial challenges right now. And, you know, at some point, hopefully we can all rise out of that together. There's a couple other quick questions I wanted to ask you while I've got you in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And. Um, for those of you who are watching and those of you who have listened to the Coach C podcast, you'll know that I'm a neuroscience coach. I'm a master coach. And I'm, I, we use a coach-based approach to consulting in our business. And I don't coach my husband. So we have a rule that I'm not his coach. And I don't, right? <laughs> and, you know, uh, and there's a reason for that. You shouldn't coach your relatives. They can't hear you the same way that uh, a paying client would hear you, you know. And he just thinks I'm nagging. So the reality, though, uh, we think very differently. So those of you who know us or or just meeting us for the first time, you can tell that Carl is very analytical, very left brain, very much, um, you know, thought oriented and and very factual. And I lean a little more to the right. I do have uh, some left brain leanings, but I am a little bit more right brained in my thinking, probably more spontaneous, a little bit more risk taking. He's more conservative than I am. What do you think, and, and that actually makes for great partnerships, by the way, not just in marriages, but in business, when you're looking to get into a partnership, if there were too many, you know, right brain, big vision people, you know, let's try this, let's try that all the time in that business, it will fail quickly because you don't have someone saying, whoa, slow down, stop, wait a minute. And then the corollary is true when you have a, a, a partner in a business or in relationship where they're like, if everything was stopped, slow down and very risk averse, that company might not get off the ground or you might not pivot and take the right um, business um, decisions. What's your biggest challenge, you know, living with someone who thinks very differently? And what do you also appreciate about living with somebody who thinks very differently than you? Not very differently. We're pretty aligned in a lot of our a lot of the way we think about things, but we're very different in our approaches. Right. I mean, you know, we're different. We are. (laughs) I'm kind of more uh, slow and measured and practical and um, really consider the bottom line sort of thing. 
and 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 you're definitely more like big idea um push push let's go for it um type of approach um what's next uh and, you know like i mean you're consistently trying to uh you know really propel us forward and and sometimes i i'm trying to like put on the brakes because you know uh, maybe maybe it doesn't work financially to to jump forward like that you know and and you're like just consider the possibility and we'll try and figure it out you know so it's where uh it's it's pretty it's pretty fascinating and uh no we, we are absolutely different and uh it is a bit of a there is a balance there though yeah. um that we are kind of on uh it's like yin yang sort of thing right yeah. and um but it but it works and uh it work. i think if if uh if there was two of me you know it'd be it'd be a little more boring around here <laughs> If, well, there wouldn't be an around here. <laughs> You'd be in a very different home. If it was two of you. It'd be a crazy town. God knows. <laughs> I agree. So um, thank you so much for agreeing to be with us today. And I really appreciate you jumping in. Uh, we are looking forward to the next Coach C podcast. We are going to be uh, speaking with our HR consultant, Jose Laroque-Paton. And uh, she had to pivot a couple times this week. So we weren't able to bring her aboard. Uh, she did have some COVID cases that she needed to take care of as an HR consultant in her business. And um, so thanks again for listening and watching for the Coach C podcast. Those of you who are on the Daily C and the Coach C, this is a surprise inside look at what does it take to really make the economy uh, stabilize. And this is the guy who's been making that happen uh, on one of the teams in Canada. And I'm just really grateful that you did that. So thanks. And all opinions were my own, not my company's. Yes. Uh, disclaimer. We also didn't na say the name of his company, but uh, those were his own opinions. So thank you. Thanks for that. You're welcome.